president i'm not sure i don't know probably trump i'm assuming although we haven't heard from him since he got kicked off of twitter and there's been no hurt since <coughs> not ominous at all of course and uh we've got a good indication that there's going to be further attempts to uh to act as some sort of web-based shock troop to uh, push over the tottering Coke machine of American political uh, system. I don't think that's likely. I think we'll see in the next month, and the inauguration day will definitely be the real, uh, the real proving ground of this, a, basically a whiff of grape shot. Anybody knows what that is? Uh, it was one of the things that helped cement Napoleon's legend is when he was still just a general uh, and had not yet even, uh, I believe not, had not even gone to uh, Egypt yet. Uh, he put down a right-wing royalist revolt uh, that was threatening to lay siege to the National Assembly with a well-positioned uh, artillery crossfire that drove the mob away from the building and saved the directory as though and uh, as a result Napoleon continued his ascension to power and I gotta say the parallels don't just end there in this also uh, very similar is the fact that the directory was a completely transactional, uh, hollow, cynical shell that had no popular legitimacy. So that's uh, certainly history rhyming again. But however it looks, I think that uh, we're going to see these, these ornery whites uh, disciplined. Because one of the reasons that they're like this, one of the reasons that they could just walk into the Capitol and not think anything's going to be bad and think that they can just go home and no one's going to get arrested is because nothing bad has ever really happened to these people before in their lives. Now, that doesn't mean they don't feel precarity and that doesn't mean they don't feel real anxiety about their station and the worries about them, their future and their children's future. <laughs> but in terms of like getting to do what they want, outside, of course, for the market, if they're employees. I mean, a lot of them, as we have said, are, are uh, you know, small, small business owners, which means they feel autonomous all the time. But even the ones who uh, work have ideologically, you know, screened that alienation 
uh, and maintain their sense of uh, self-assertion through their purchases and through their political activities, which have never been curtailed. And so now it's happening. If anyone saw the video of the uh, person who was denied entry to a flight because they were on this new, like, uh, I guess, um, flight attendant insisted upon no-fly list for people who are identified having gone to it. And the guy wasn't yelling. The guy wasn't threatening to get his gun. He was crying. He was whining at the top of his fucking lungs. That's what they're doing Siege of Toulon is completely different. What are you talking about? Siege of Toulon was, was like, well, years earlier. What are you talking about? This is a whiff of grape shot after Vendemere. Jesus fucking Christ. He's just crying because he doesn't... It's like, wait, consequences? And the majority of these people, once they see, oh, you can go to jail for this, oh, there's actual consequences, are going to back down. Now, they're not going to reconcile themselves to democracy and to the, the Biden administration, and they're not going to be chastened and, like, vote for Mitt Romney for the fucking uh, nomination next time, but they're probably not going to be marching around so much with guns. Uh, and... But there, that's not going to be all of them, of course. Some of them are going to keep fighting, and they will be, at every level, manipulated, monitored, and encouraged by uh, the fucking secret police so that we can keep this low-running insurgency going and justify uh, further uh, civil liberties destruction and create more spectacle for people to engage with uh, while everything burns. But I wanted to... Uh, I was wrong about this at every stage. I mean, I, I'll admit I never thought they were going to fucking breach the Capitol. It's pretty amazing. But, I mean, I'm sorry. If Biden becomes president, I was right. Everything else boils down to anxiety. Like, oh, I worried more than him before we got to this point. And, there, and by the way, if I'm wrong and there is a fucking civil war or, or, or a coup, wouldn't that be good news? Because at least it breaks this fucking endless stalemate. Frankly, that's why I don't think it's going to happen more than anything, because it would actually break open this political uh, structure here that has got us completely fucking cosseted. And you know what? If I'm at the fucking getting firing squatted by some maggot shitheads or uh, uh, or Biden is nominated or Biden is sworn in and there's no problem, either way, if you spent more time worrying about it because you were more concerned than me... And we're both in the same place? We're both in front of the same firing squad? We're both watching the same stupid fucking State of the Union where Biden has a stroke halfway through and all the Democrats are clapping and they can't stop clapping and they all, they're like fucking at a Stalin speech at the Politburo because no one wants the first to stop clapping even though he's up there and drool is coming out of his mouth and he's been fucking stuck on the same syllable for 45 seconds? Wherever we are, if we're there together and you spent more time worrying than me, guess what? I was right. Regardless of what I thought... Because none of these people who want to fucking tell you how right they were about the fascist threat are doing anything other than settling scores online, which means they're full of shit. So, anyway, there's going to be some sort of whiff of grape shot, and if not, then let's stop fucking podcasting. If not, thank God, we don't have to have takes anymore. Nobody act like that's a bad, oh no, what if they overthrow the government? Then you gotta fight for something in once in your fucking life, and you can't fucking be on the internet all day, and I'm including myself in this.
Oh my God, you don't have a fucking excuse to send your fucking ass for your entire fucking life? Oh my God, that'd be the worst thing in the world, wouldn't it? I'm operating under the assumption that this machinery of coercion is, that is so, that is literally surrounded the earth is going to be more resilient than some fucking yokels can put together. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, then that is sweet fucking liberty from this goddamn the steel cage of fucking neutered sterile neurosis. So I'm sorry if Biden gets Biden gets nominated if Biden gets uh, sworn in, and there's no coup, then guess what? I won because I wasn't spending this whole time shitting my fucking intestines out and scrolling on Twitter nonstop. I really haven't been. I swear I have not been doom scrolling, and I feel better for it. I win. Then you oh, I spent all this time shitting in a bucket over fear about this thing. You won. What did you win? You get to feel smug? Congratulations. That's the entire currency we have here. So I don't, like I said, forget, 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 forget what's going to happen. I just think broadly, there's going to be a, a snap on the nose of these people and kind of, for now, get them back into the column. Although we'll talk about what that's going to mean long term. And none of it is good because none of any of this is good which is why I never fucking understand the argument about why you need to be more worried about stuff because, well, it's not going to be a fascist coup, but it's still bad. Who in God's name is saying it isn't fucking bad? But I wanted to start today talking about some about like reinforcing sort of the the uh, narrative of how we got to this place and how we created this class that revolted at uh at the at uh last week <laughs> and <clears throat> these people who now are fully rejecting democratic governance because they have a fully in uh fully separate media consumptive window where they didn't lose the election where all of your entreaties to democracy and rule of law bounce off because they think that they're on, those things are on their side. Like That is incommensurability at a level that cannot be resolved politically, which is why people talk about civil war. But like my get is, this is America. Most people are just going to go home, especially if they can fucking go to a goddamn outback in a couple of months. They're going to go home. Not all of them, but enough to avoid a con apocalyptic confrontation with the state. So, how do we get here with these Repu this Republican base here? And I don't want to talk about whether they're def fucking left... Uh, one of the most annoying conversations you can have about is trying to understand the class character of, of these people. Oh, they're working class. No, they, got, they drove there and they took planes. They're rich. It's not one or the other. It's, it's a whole strata. It's the middle strata. And also, they're not working class. No shit they aren't. Nobody in America is. We don't have class consciousness, so we don't have working class people. We have people who work for wages, but they do not, especially these people, if they are technically working class, they sure as shit don't think of themselves as workers. They think of themselves, if anything, Americans or consumers, which mean basically the same thing. 
But what's more important than the class character, which is meaningless in this context, is their uh, demographic character. Specifically, um, the places that they live uh, and the, the jobs they do there. Not necessarily workers, like I said, a lot of small business people. But anyway, the reason that we have this now, this, this class of people who, who are in revolt, even though they are, as people like to point out, relatively comfortable compared to people in this country who are suffering much worse in these conditions, but are hyper-anxious and aware of their deprivation, which is relative, but that's the only thing anybody feels is their relative deprivation. And then they feel a, a bone-deep confidence in their ability to exercise political influence and change that. They want to speak to the manager because their entire life, the manager has showed up and given them what they wanted. But they're pissed. How do you deal with this? And then you've got the Democrats as the op opposition and their party made up of some of the people who are struggling the most in this country and some of, and most most now of the uh, most educated and wellest off Americans. Uh, um, Ronald Reagan won 80 of the 100 counties with the highest degree of bachelor degree or higher attainment. Trump won 12 of them. That's a real thing that's happening. And, and this Democratic alternative, which is just the same thing Republicans are pushing for, but more culturally inclusive, uh, is the only alternative to it. How, how can this be? So let's start by just pointing out that there's two, t that, uh, two types of capital formations emerged in America while it was being settled. You had finance capital concentrated on the coastal cities, and then you had physical capital. Uh, before the Civil War, primarily in the form of plantation slave agriculture, and some uh, uh, manufacturing in the North. Uh, and then over the course of the post-war era, the end of slavery, and then the expansion westward, we get the proliferation across the country of regional economies that all are fed and then feed back into the na national economy, which is still headquartered on those East Coast cities. <sighs> and this sends the, uh, the fortunate sons and daughters of, uh, of the bounty of America's conquest um, into spatial and cultural directions. So if you are in one of those eastern cities with finance capital as its uh, raison d'etre, you are growing up in a uh, around people who are not necessarily only uh, financiers, not necessarily only capitalists, but also the handmaidens of capital. Lawyers, university professors, politicians, people who will become the dreaded PMC. That's where it's found how to coordinate a national uh, economy. That requires expertise, and that requires schooling, and it requires manners. It requires civilized civilization in the European sense. And that, over the course of the 20th century, 
meant that the uh, both middle and working class striving uh, people who were able to access our huge expansion of um, access to higher education after World War II uh, had a choice of how do they want to pursue the bounty of America. They could go east, and when I say east, I really just mean to a city because the cities, they, those centers of finance and, and, and you know, uh, capital, they pop up across the country. Uh, you go to the cities, you go to college, you get a degree, and you go to the cities to either make your fortune in, in with the money itself or make uh, your profession around the money. But that while that's happening, while there's this flow of people to the cities like this, there are regional phys uh, physical capital production facilities and, 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 and uh, networks of, of commerce that are fixed, that don't go anywhere, and that, don't, and that only interact with finance capital and then global capital as debtors, essentially, as, as people who, the, the, the ones who are there to give you uh, liquidity so that you can expand and who you owe. Essentially, the, the old banks that the Jacksonians were terrified of. Those regional uh, uh, capital, fi finance capital uh, economies around, first and foremost, extraction. Mining, drilling, fracking, things like that. Also, retail, to serve all the people who work in those uh, industries. Uh, and then all the attendant, you know, it, it creates its own parallel economy filled with small business people. Uh, and hustlers, like lawyers in both places, but lawyers doing different things. Finance, like uh, financial planners in both places doing different things, but in different cultures. And after uh, the working class was brought into uh, the political arena with the New Deal, after working class got a seat at the table, as it were, uh, the first explosion of, uh, of reactionary sentiment, which is basically just a restating of the old Jacksonian and Jeffersonian concept of the totally unfettered uh, citizen. The, the idea that American liberty is only real if it is... If, if it is uh, uh, without any um, any sovereign beyond the individual, and that it is just the accumulated actions of these sovereign individuals that makes up the co country. When it exploded to as the antithesis to the thesis, the thesis that had emerged from World War II of you know the the Fordist Keynesian New Deal state, which was. A, a creation forged in the laboratories of those big cities by finance capital because, oh, we have this industrial economy, but these workers are organized, and if they don't work, we can't fucking get this stuff out. We have a war to win. We have a, a, a global war over, like, the resources of the planet to win. What are we going to do? We have the money. Let's give it to them for the love of God. Let's recognize them. Let's get them on the board here. Let's get them in the tent pissing out because we can afford to. And they were making all these deals. And the, and the I'm not, I swear to God, I'm not on coke. I swear to Christ, I understand you won't believe me, but I w I'm not on cocaine. Um...
So those deals are being made there within the upper ranks of both the Democratic and Republican parties. But then at the grassroots in these places where there's like a local uh, candy manufacturer. Robert Welch, the founder of the John Birch Society, was a candy manufacturer in western Massachusetts. Uh, in Orange County, amongst the uh, like the Knott's Berry Farm fortune, or all of the aerospace engineers who came to work for uh, Boeing. Um, in the Sun Belt, you know, wherever it is, it emerged, and, and then, of course, in the South, in response to uh, uh, integration, in every place, the a revolt to the New Deal consensus uh, came from, at the top, regional uh, ruling class people, local national bourgeois types. Uh, the Koch brothers were really just a super, super successful version of them. They were like the alphas of them because their money is in fucking oil. It's in the ground. They're not, they're not, they're not bankers. And Trump supporters among the billionaires, the lumpen billionaires who support tend to be, who support Trump tend to be not on the finance side, but on the physical capital side. And, um, so, you know, oh, uh, fast food franchise owners, uh, car dealership owners, like the Buddy Garrity types, we know the beautiful boaters, local gentry. They are the ones who rebel because they are not in on these meetings. They don't get, they are not sold. They've not been consulted on the Bretton Woods system and fucking Marshall Plan. They've not been consulted on integration either, which is another thing that had to happen so that we could keep the money flowing and we could be, keep, beat the Soviets. But you can't talk sense to them because they're not in the room. They're, they're out in the hinterlands and they have their own cultures and they don't interact really with those Eastern ones except as something to define oneself against. So there's no persuading them, even though it's in their best interest. Because another part is, it's not in all their best interests. The more successful ones over time will be like brought into and, buy, and be bought out maybe at the right time. But the tendency towards monopoly is real. And these small gentry are going to be crushed over time. And they are being crushed over time. And like if they don't, if they're not smart, and a lot, a lot of them are not fucking smart and lucky, and very few of us are lucky, or like half of us are not lucky at any given moment, uh, they're going to get crushed too. And they're going to get proletarianized. And they don't want it. They never wanted it. So in addition to the fact that they're culturally separated enough just to never buy any argument for why we should be doing this globalizing economy, they also are very well, they very well might not, might be in conflict with it. Just like all those factory owners, workers who were told that NAFTA would be worth it because, hey, you're going to have much cheaper socks at Walmart. And if you lose your job, we'll give you, we'll, we'll teach you how to code. And that new right was in abeyance for the 50s and early 60s because things were good. Times were good. It was working for most people. When it broke up, it broke out out of the cultural ferment of the, the essentially overheating of the cultural economy that, caused, that came from having too many young people with too much time on their hands because literally the economy was too good. And that is where you get, you know, uh, you get social ferment and activism and attempts to change things because you have people who are, are increasingly articulate and able to de make demands on, on uh, the political system and are able to organize themselves. And while the 60s counterculturals were doing that, so was this local business roundtable uh, uh, lumpen bourgeois rebellion. And it eventually took power in the form of Reagan. Now the thing is, these people were resisting global capital, 
but they're still capitalists. And also, they're fucking morons, most of them. And at the level, and at the political level, when you're not even trying to talk to people who like have looked at the the sheets, the, the the economy or anything, are just schmoes reading the newspaper and don't have any more, you know, understanding of the world than anybody else. When you're getting it through capitalist bullshit media, when Reagan was elected, it was with a promise that even though it looked like the American economy had stalled out permanently in the '70s, we could get it going again, not by seizing the means of production and redistributing profit, which is the only thing that was going to do it. That was off the table because the working class had lost its influence by that point and couldn't regain it. There was an attempt. The 70s saw the biggest wave of wildcat strikes since the, po the, since the late 40s. It was like the, the birth and death pangs of like business li liberalism uh, uh, and our business um, unionism in America were uh, with the post-war strike wave and then with the 70s strike wave, but it failed. And what it meant was you had neoliberal uh, Democrats like uh, Jimmy Carter, who wanted to tell all the people, white, black, whatever, look, uh, yeah, we can't rely on indulgence. We can't rely on stuff we buy to make us happy anymore. Now, that's all true, what he said, but he wasn't doing anything to change the structure of the economy that made people have to find pleasure in goods because their lives were totally alienated otherwise. He was essentially just telling them to pull up their fucking bootstraps. It, it's classic, the poison chalice of, of liberal piety right there. But who was listening? Who was listening? Every, uh, every white middle class and up person who had at some point, either them or their parents, had made the trek from the hinterland to the colleges and to the cities or the suburbs of the cities to work around the money, either in the state or in its uh, cultural departments. And they had, they were going to do good because part of this deal was we got here not because of the physical productivity of the land. We got here because we can use our brains to inter interface with this new data economy, this post, this consumer data economy. Now, of course, they weren't smarter than anybody. What they were was well-positioned some way to accede to the manners and social mores of college, probably because their parents went, uh, or because they were like, uniquely uh, suited for them for reasons that had nothing to do with their virtue and never do. But one way or another, they were in a position to thrive regardless. And so, of course, they said, yes, there's a lot here. Hmm, very interesting. Uh... But Reagan's answer was, what's restraining America's economy is all of the stuff that makes the economy possible. It's all the structures of uh, regulation and taxation that literally allow the thing to function. The stuff it took us 200 years to build because the thing kept breaking down. There were like six giant depressions and a civil war in the 19th century. And then we had a de depression that led to massive social misery and tumult. And then only ended when we decided to become the world spanning fucking hegemon. And then we'd had this, this thing that looked beautiful, this Keynesian synthesis, but it was predicated on profits that over time, fell as we had to build up our former enemies. We had the Soviets there. We couldn't let Japan and Germany languish, which meant eventually they were going to start making stuff. And once they did, our bloated carcass of a, of a, of a, 
um, in, um, automobile industry, which had made itself uncompetitive, which had essentially castrated itself to avoid being overtaken by its workforce. Like, one of the big reasons that the uh, big three were unable to adapt to the smaller, more energy-efficient vehicles coming out of Japan in the 70s is that the facilities that they'd had to, like, um, to, uh, to make a work workflows and, and part, you know, movement, like getting a thing from a, uh, get, getting, you know, windshield wipers from a plant to, to the finishing area or whatever, had been intentionally dispersed right after they'd made the deals with the UAW, uh, in the 30s and 40s in order to make it harder for um, the unions to secure crucial choke points of production. One of the reasons, one of the things that that led to is that when it came time to figure out what to do with the new economic order, they, they were unable to. But anyway, the chickens were coming home to roost and America was either going to have to socialize production or if it was going to maintain a profit-based economy, it was going to have to dismember the very structure of New Deal governance that had allowed it to thrive. And if you're one of these smallholders or people in their thrall, people who live in the same cultural area, maybe work for them, but have imbued the idea of America, America's good, therefore my boss is good, therefore if anything's wrong, it's something else. Reagan was able to say all that, that's something else, that is alienation and anxiety and precarity, however it's felt across the class spectrum, is caused by the government holding us back. Like Fry when he's trying to drink the slurm and he's trying to get his head through the grate and he goes, I could get there easily if it wasn't for these damn arms and then starts chewing them off. And that, no shit, was more electorally appealing than Carter saying, put on a sweater. Now, of course, you might say, hey, maybe revolution would have been more appealing, but there was nobody there by that point. Because labor had been demobilized, bought off, and a a scattered by that point. So, for a while, though, the Reagan scam worked. It was a classic Ponzi scheme in the American sense. Oh, yeah, we're going to cut taxes. Oh, shit, our cities have destroyed themselves. Our cities are turned into complete bomb cells. And we, oh, that's okay. That's because of the black people. They like drugs too much. We'll throw them all in jail. Uh, but your, your places are still great because you've got mortgage, uh, uh, mortgage deductions, and we've essentially silently reconfigured the welfare state to give you silent subsidies that you don't even know are there and that make you think that you're a fucking world-destroying business genius and not a costed little baby being kept in a swaddled blanket because the white middle class is the center of American politics and always has been. It is not driving the caboose. Of course, capital is doing that. But it has a crucial, like, load-bearing structure and it its movement can shift positions. Like, it was... The working class were able to get a good chunk of smallholders to go along with the New Deal. They will follow a strong hand, and that can be the, the left. But in America, it's been mostly the right. And so, while the, uh, the end of Prosperity 70s, like I said last stream, what that meant for uh, African Americans was just base repression. Like, you'd never actually gotten to the point of political equality, and now we can keep you as essentially contained. Like, we give you enough power and influence to maintain patronage, maintain a middle, a, a middle class, but anybody who's like, falls out of that uh, structure, and there's going to be a lot because we never built up any actual, you know, uh, capacity, social capacity there, uh, we're going to just throw you in jail. 
And what are you going to do? Where are you going to complain? What are you going to do? You just had a big complaint. You just got a bunch of laws passed. All the white people are sick of hearing of it. And what are you going to do? One, the Republican Party is designed to be against you. You can't go there. So what are you going to do? You're captured by the Democrats, and it's tough shit. The, the, the white people is a much different problem. Now, the Democrats, their new base of white people, that was set. They, they're signed up. Yeah, yeah, sure. Knowledge economy. Great. Go, I'll go to college. Learn to code. We'll do it. And they went to college, and they got the jobs. Now, some of them now are finding out, oh, no, yeah, that's all bullshit now. And that's the thing. Now the check is coming due. Even those cosseted uh, regional lords and their vassals are not feeling the pinch. Like, Trump did very well, very, very well in counties with high uh, fentanyl overdoses. Now, of course, he didn't do well against the people who suffered those fentanyl overdoses or their families. They don't vote. But he did very well among the wealthiest people who live there. Because they're seeing it. It's their community. And they're unhappy about it. And so they have, because, but because this is like a, a petty national reactionary uh, capitalist movement, this is essentially a baron's revolt from a bunch of, of pig-headed, like, feudal lords who have not got it in their head that there's one team here called capitalism. But because they're embedded in their social structures and their, and their fake class affect of I, I drive a truck and I listen to country music, so I'm basically the same guy as the one who is the dude who mows my lawn. And he thinks that's a, that too because I'm dressed like him and we're all living this lie together. And who's going to tell us what we're wrong? The fucking the, 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 the gay Jews on the television? They're not going to tell me anything. There's nothing they can do to break my bubble. We're in here together and we're suffering together. And so what is to be done? And they are taking the Reaganite conclusion that it's Jeffersonian, Jacksonian logic, which is end the state. And if you like, ask these people, like, okay, what should Trump do? What is Trump going to do to fix things? Now, you might say some people, like in the base, they make free health care, whatever. That's, that's, not, that's never going to be the, the, um, the place where policy is formed. Because remember, at the top rank of these people we're talking about, these beautiful voter classes, this petty bourgeois, these barons, these, these are also people who end up going to Congress and, be, and like running for Senate and becoming fucking senators, as their kids are. So they are also the political class of the Republican Party. Like these are all, this, the party and this class is almost fused. It's the same people. And that means that they're going to dictate what the response to this horror is. This is neoliberal capitalism rolling over everybody. How do we stop it? And their answer will be, allow us all the unrestrained power of barons. Because the buried assumption within all of the, feud, the fantasy of the Jeffersonian model is, well, if you, everybody can do it. And of course, no, it will concentrate where it always does. The money and power will stay where they are. But the people under it, in the thrall of it, within the cultural bubble of it, will accept it because they could one day break out themselves if they work hard enough. I mean, it is a theology, and they fully embrace it, and it is connected and grafted onto Christianity at the fucking root. So, what is the Trumpian and post-Trumpian uh, uh, political project, if there is one? And of course there really isn't. It is just spectacle. But say they, came, they actually are able to assert, uh, and at the state level, they very well might be. Like, regardless of whether Biden gets in, I don't think you see him ruling for four years without some sort of nullification crisis. Somebody like DeSantis or Greg Abbott rattling sabers about uh, refusing to uh, uh, accept federal laws. 
So you could see there, like, just being, in the near future, some sort of attempt to assert, like, a Trumpian social vision. It's not going to be Heronvolk democracy. It will be get rid of all taxes, get rid of all restrictions on pollution, uh, on drilling anything, uh, and get rid of all restraint on uh, any sort of, inter uh, like, consumer-based protection uh, for any financial or... Uh, or physical product. Like let lead filled baby food, whatever. Let the market decide. Um, and because the pitch there is with all restrictions lifted, if we assume capitalism and everything is assumed of capitalism, so the alternative to this that does, I mean, and you can't blame them too much for not believing that this could exist because no one is talking about it, especially the fucking Democrats. If capitalism is, is it, do we submit to being turned into soy creatures? Do we submit to this regime that says, look, we're going to strip mine the earth, but we're going to do it politely and in an orderly fashion, and we all keep voting, and we all pretend to respect each other's religious and, and uh, ethnic diversity, and by the way, you now don't own your business anymore. You work for Amazon. You don't have any health insurance. That's just the way it is. You could code. If you, you want to learn how to code, Grandpa, you want to sit in class all day, Junior, to learn how to fucking code? Even though, like, that isn't for everybody. People, are, There are people who are not uh, for college and not for the kind of jobs that you're supposed to want to get. And, of course, even if everyone was, there aren't enough of them. There aren't enough of them. So that's what we're, that's what the Democratic Party, and now, after the Trump ban, the entirety of culture, the Imano culture, from tech industry and the tech monopolies to the Democratic Party to everything you see on television. That is one party and it is for turning us all into uh, into uh, little Uber Eats minions. There is no socialist alternative to this in the discourse. What there is is this, this uh, incoherent, jabbering na uh, nationalist, white, like, uh, racial nationalist version of it. Not purely like white nationalists, because it will, it, will, it will, by definition, and for its own survival, accept others outside of whiteness, but it will just do that by enhancing the, what whiteness means. But it's still part of it, like that's grafted in there. Right there with the nationalism and the Christianity, they're all wedged together, and they all reinforce each other. What is the, policy, what is the proposal instead of doing that? Let's not let the cucks of the UN tell us how much oil we can drill. Put, everybody gets a fucking oil derrick that they can try to find oil with. And everybody can fucking pump every surface of this earth. Because, hey, it could be you that finds the next, uh, the next mother load. Multi-level marketing schemes. No, re uh, no um, regulations of those. Anybody with enough hustle can get friends to get friends to get friends to, uh, to understand this incredible marketing opportunity. It's okay, though. Yes, you're still a minion, most of you. The ones who aren't in iron uh, aren't in compounds, most of you are still a rabbit-like peasant, but uh, at least you could be a lord, as opposed to the, the the gerbil in the soy plantation who has accepted his lot in life. And what despairs makes me filled with despair about more than anything is, is that. Now that we have this, like, now that after they banned Donald, it's all out there. There is one agenda. There is one party. There is an establishment. There is an elite. 
Everything the Q ever said about that is true. It's just, it's everybody. Except what is the undigestible thing? What's the thing the system cannot absorb? What has to be rejected? What has to be denounced? Everything else seems to be acceptable, including Black Lives Matter, including all manners of, of, of socialism. What cannot be absorbed? Trump. And so what does that say to the people absorbing the spectacle? That the only alternative to the misery of the moment is Trump. No matter how incoherent it is and stupid and cruel, it is. I mean, look at it. What is, what is Trump's real legacy in these last months? He hasn't really been planning a coup. He's just been, like, hoping somebody else would do it. What he has been doing is making sure that they fucking execute everybody on the federal death row. That's the heart of this. It's just fucking, it's feudalism. Like, the choice really is, it's, it's two brands of barbar barbarism. It is old-fashioned feudalism in the American sense, like, you know, the plantation master and his thralls, and then the pathetic uh, overseer in the middle trying to uh, negotiate the two. And then we have techno-feudalism. Where there is no ostentatious displays of uh, public violence and sadism and domination. They're all done behind the scenes. They're all uh, covered by fucking ones and zeros. They're all hidden. We are all too polite to mention them. But it's feudalism in both cases. It's barbarism in both cases. And then the alternative to that is this just... Yeah, the alternative is just this savagery. And I am not becoming post-leftified. Because I am saying that sucks. And it is the goal, the only meaningful fucking point of the left at this juncture is to actually manifest a fucking alternative to this. And the only thing I will say about that is it will not be by posting and it will not be by monitoring people's anxiety levels and it will not be curating ideologies in the hothouse of online and building your fucking uh, ship in a bottle. It will have to come from actual, dare I hate to say it, organizing. And you say, what does that mean? It's sure as shit nothing I'm seeing on the internet, which, thank God, it shouldn't be. It should be people working together. It's going to, and it's going to have to happen. And I hope it will, or else all of the coming misery that's going to break our fantasy of endless indulgence, the, the myth that Greg Grandin talks about will be finally dispelled. Any hope that that alienation and, and, uh, and pain goes to the, uh, goes to fill the ranks of opposition to capitalism, uh, that goes away if the only alternative to the system is Trump. They'll find a way to absorb almost all of it. All of it that doesn't go into self-destructive despair or just pure apolitical violence. And the one thing that like can shine through this is that this is all spectacular politics. And it's spectacular, it's spectacular nature is what allows it such purchase in people's minds because because it's so easily manipulatable. Like half those people at the fucking uh, at the Capitol were streaming it for their fucking followers or had a t-shirt on that they you could buy at their Etsy store. Everyone was selling each other stuff. It was some it's a giant Tupperware party. It's self-interested delusion. The only thing that can defeat that is a self-interest that is fused to the self-interest of others at the point of work and suffering 
not at the point of arguing and meta-suffering and discussing suffering and finding a cultural costume for your suffering. So those are the vulgar boatmen. That's the class that we created. We created a regional bourgeois that was never forced into full political uh, uh, acceptance of the, the system because there was never any need. They were there making their money themselves. It didn't matter if they sponsored the John Birch Society or whatever. Hey, when they took office, it helped apply pressure from the right to break up a lot of the New Deal stuff that uh, capital needed to get rid of. They were very helpful. They were very, very helpful. And they still are, but only within the bounds. They have to be corralled. That's why I'm saying I think there's going to be some sort of crackdown. A whiff of grape shot, because they're only useful <coughs> as long as everything is together. But man, seeing like the National Fucking Manufacturers Association and like uh, Dow and shit coming out and saying Trump got to go, that's not good. Like, if you are rooting for this because you think it's going to lead to some sort of working-class Trumpist alternative to the status quo, I'm sorry. If that's how it worked, if you could get the, like, base of a party to dictate to its to capital that at its top without, like, fully organizing around a conflict with capital, uh, you're not going to, in, you're not going to beat them. You will be suborned. This party will be directed towards a incoherent gibberish sort of national, sort of almost po like uh, right-wing Pol Pot shit. Like destroy the city, shoot everybody with glasses, and then instead of having everybody farm collectively for rice, like have everybody um, open their own like Lululemon distributorship. But like what the Biden's going to what Biden I think is going to do I'm not going to predict too much but is if he's able to hold power and like the G GOP doesn't just assert a veto at like every point which they might do like this whole uh impeachment thing is very interesting because like as I said this Trump energy is useful as long as it is you know maintaining stability uh because these high level Republicans have interests that are that transcend Trump but if they think that there's a chance that the Democrats could actually change the rules, because remember, the only reason that the Republicans are able to be the party they are and have the appeal that they do is because they have a gerrymandered and structurally, uh, and structurally mandated uh, handicap, essentially, that allows them to do that. If the, and that's all not, and that a lot of that is based on rules that could be rescinded by a party in power. Uh, and that could actually threaten them. And especially if people are talking about like sending folks to jail. And that changes the fucking calculus. Or it could. 
But I, the Democrats, I don't think, are going to press it that far. Because who really wants them to do that besides a bunch of fucking op-ed writers whose job it is to make the Democrats look like a responsive, fucking uh, meaningful resistance to uh, authoritarian hell. Instead of its simpering handmaidens. The Republican Party is Cy Tolliver, and the Democratic Party is E.B. Farnham. I do wonder if somebody would ever would just slap Trump. Like, what if one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff just hit him in the face? What would he do? Because you got to assume he's never been struck. But they wouldn't do that either, because they're a bunch of fucking dorks, and they have no real interest in seeing this, like, ended. This should all be drawn out as long as possible. That's to the benefit of everybody. Draw it out right to the end. Then Trump leaves office. Biden gets in. There's some shots fired. Uh, there's some bombs that go off. There's some um, shenanigans. There's a few big raids. And then... Everybody is just too fucking spent and anxious at the same time to do anything other than just be baby birds as, as it's dictated to us. And as I was saying, I was distracted, but I think we might honestly see some sort of trial UBI here to stand in for everything else that needs to change. Because it is the easy, quick fix. That's why Yang proposed it. And there is a basis now with the fucking, uh, with the stimulus concept in just making a cyclical fucking payment, the substitute for effective vaccine distribution uh, or any kind of uh, healthcare countermeasures, and that would be the path of least resistance because it doesn't really chafe anybody. All it does is is uh, undermine your argument for uh, deficit austerity, which you need to have in order to beat back progressive demands, but. It's, at this point, that's got to be like the one inessential item in your loadout that you can jettison. But we'll see. We're, I don't think we're getting anything else, that's for sure. And we're sure shit not going to get uh, any kind of uh, herd immunity for at least a year. Oh, that at least a year? Two? But the big thing about this is that the entire democratic cultural response, and this goes for everybody talking about how anxious they have to be and everybody talking about how they need to impeach to send the message that this is unacceptable. All that is premised on convincing people, right? You're convincing the population to, for example, support Democrats against Republicans as a stand-in to do what they always want people to do and put country first and make whether or not you support Trump a defining issue of whether or not you vote for a Republican. Like if somebody, I, I will not vote for a Republican who says Trump uh, should stay in office or didn't do anything wrong. And the thing is, is that they can't win that. They can't make that happen. They can't make that work because they're not speaking to those people. They're speaking to, here's the people they're speaking to. They're speaking to the Democratic faithful outside of the whole thing uh, who are going to be yes sirring to everything, who, who take everything that's, that, yes, Medicare for all is a good idea, but it is impractical. Yes, we do need to uh, be 
realistic about of what we can accomplish given Republican opposition. They're just there to go, uh-huh. Then there's the people who you could theoretically engage to change the numbers, the women who don't vote or don't identify as partisan, but them, it's mostly gamma rays because they don't think this shit matters because they've never seen it mean anything in their lives. They have no emotional connection to the symbology that the liberals do because it is not, the deal has not worked out for them the way it has for the liberals. And then you have the people in the fucking cut Republican cocoon for whom everything they get outside of it all the norms, all the norm assertions, every statement by every big company, none of that like makes them go, oh, these things I like, don't like this, maybe I'm wrong. They say, oh, this is a fucking conspiracy. This is literally the elite telling you that a uh, democracy isn't real. Because remember, they all think Trump won on an emotional level. Even if they couldn't explain why, they are motivated emotionally by a belief that Trump is the legitimate president. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's deeper than than uh, believing that he won the election. Like they might be think a lot of them that the people we have vote mostly shouldn't be allowed to, and that means that they don't. Whatever the justification is, the end result is that none of these entreaties to norms, none of these entreaties to higher ideals, will penetrate that bubble. Which means there can be no uh, threat. There can be no democratic uh, like uh, assertion of authority in the halls of Congress. No, no ability to to cow the Republicans into doing things, because between now and then, who knows how many people have stopped caring? And the people who will who we know will care are going to be the same people who are always there. And now we know a lot of these working class people who weren't paying attention are now kind of siding with Trump. I mean, imagine imagine this. Imagine Trump was your first fucking election. You never voted before. Think of it this way. Never, And there's a lot of people like this. You never voted before. But this time, holy shit, big stuff's happening. Kind of crazy. What's going on? I don't know. No one seems to know. The Demo uh, like, There's no clear story. Masks are good. Masks are bad, but now they're good. And something about the Chinese? I don't know. But I do know that I lost my job or family member died of COVID or can't go to my favorite bar anymore or, you know, I lost my health insurance or something. Shit. Well, what the hell's going on? You've got this political establishment that is unified in its message. Like, remember, Biden and Trump didn't argue about any actual difference in policy, about COVID or anything else. They agreed on the basic hybrid thing of lockdowns when you need and then open things uh, when you can, and uh, mostly make it people's personal responsibility to wear a mask, and then give people money, uh, some money uh, to, uh, you know, make up the shortfalls, instead of shutting everything down and letting people stay home and paying them, uh, trying to fucking cut it off. No, maintaining the fucking economy at all costs. That was the bipartisan answer. So that's not the major difference. But you do have one guy there who all of the people, other people in charge, all the media, all the big institutions say is bad and is, in fact, uniquely bad and is beyond bad and is terrible. And, oh, my God. Now, what he's saying is mostly gibberish, but what Biden's saying is mostly gibberish. But Trump's gibberish is apparently dangerous. Then there's an election. Biden wins. Looks like he won, but I don't know. Who, who are you supposed to know? This is the media. Who knows what's, who's, who's fucking behind any of this stuff? But 
they're kicking him out. They're uh, they're they're kicking him off Twitter and off Facebook. What 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 is he a threat to? Because remember, these people outside of the Dem enthrallment do not credit the Democrats or the fucking constitutional order or or the media or anything for any good thing in life. Nor should they. And it's insanely frustrating that you've got all these people who've decided that, you know, you might actually need to have public ownership of public goods instead of having, like, monopoly capitalists being able to, to veto your access to crucial infrastructure. Yeah, maybe think about that beyond the thing you used to post. Beyond thinking, we need to fucking nationalize the internet so that my grandkids uh, are forced to like my Facebook memes. That is how sh this is why I'm saying there could be no constructive politics with these people because it is all the most selfish, brain-dead, entitled dog shit on earth because they are the most coddled people in human history. So their prescriptions for problems are the most self-reinforcing uh, self, uh, and... Uh, um, self-validating, self-absolving shit on earth. I want to bring back uh, capital. I want to bring back executions in the streets uh, and, and uh, no income tax. Healthcare is by lottery, but you know it's it's legal for me to sell um, moonshine that I cut with antifreeze. This, like the culture they're defending, the national culture they're defending against the encroaching uh, uh, globalists, which is how a lot of people like to phrase it. They like to say, this is a national, you know, cultural, this is a, a, an embedded cultural uh, unit that is rebelling against uh, encroaching capitalism. You know, the way, like, think of all those, think of the Plains Indians and, you know, um, and uh, peasant Europe. And think of the enclosures. No, these people were already totally consumerized Pringles. They were already processed dog shit. And so their culture is processed dog shit. And the thing they're trying to hold and be able to maintain is dog shit. Well, there's no hope there. And the idea of, oh, I'm going to direct them in the right way. I'm going to, like, convince them that my fucking thin-ass... Uh, read of of uh, cod marxist uh jargon college jargon is going to be more persuasive than the fucking visceral imagery of the american flag or the confederate flag for that matter and like the pageantry uh, and uh and certainty and religious fervor of this your fucking nerdy ass fucking poli sci bullshit is going to cut through that especially since all of the money will be arrayed against you all of the money that is within those you know remaining sectors dumbass Like, it's hilarious watching people who make fun of AOC and uh, of people who take AOC seriously and say, oh, you're a fucking rube. I can't believe you idiots. And then make fun of uh, all of the high-paid media hacks who pretend to criticize the Democrats but actually sheep-dip them back into voting for Democrats. How many of them are, are fucking convincing themselves right now, well, maybe not right now, we'll see, that, like, Josh Hawley is it's like the, the guy who's going to, uh, you know, awaken the sandworm and, and bring 
class politics to this like gibbering reactionary petty bourgeois tantrum. That's a fantasy as rich and you have to be either well paid or hoping you'll get well paid by, by uh, flattering an audience that wants to be reinforced in their worldview already uh, or you're just deluded. There is no hope in either of these parties, my friends. The, the, the things they represent are two flavors of shit-sickle. I mean, like, I mean, that's obviously a very glib thing to say. Oh, the turd sandwich and the shit, the shit taco, or I don't even remember, the stupid South Park. But, you know, the truth or so, falseness of that is never in doubt. They always were. By definition, they are. But whether or not that matters... Determined, is determined by the context of, their, of the contest. Like, I'd say like a 64 election. Like, that's a real... 32, that's a real distinction, even if you're both talking... You're talking about real, uh, you know, a bipartisan capitalist super uh, st structure undergirding it. But right now, everything is accelerating towards shit. Every, all conflict is in the benefit of both parties. Exacerbating conflict is in everyone's best interests at least to the point that they think that they can overtake it. Like the Democrats, they're aware there's a point where they might bluff beyond their capacity, and then we could see them get slapped down. And they don't want to risk that. And that's why I doubt they'll uh, impeach Trump, because they don't want to be shown to be holding a weak hand. Because what they want, their fantasy, and the fantasy of all liberals, is at this moment, those guys in, the guy with the horns at the, at the rostrum, that image is the 9-11 that gives them the whip hand during a, uh, um, during a moment of national catastrophe the same way that 9-11 did for the Republicans. That is the dream of the Democrats. And the signal and the evidence of that is going to boil down to how many Republicans break ranks. How many Republicans denounce Trump? How many Republicans say, yeah, no, this is too far, and signal that they're willing to you know, uh, cut towards the Democrats, which has been what they've been trying to do break the regular Republicans away from the base. That's been the goal since uh, Clinton uh, got the nomination and Trump uh, was running against Trump. And this is another chance for them to do that. But if they do a vote and the Republicans are essentially uh, unified, all they, have de all they have demonstrated is that the Democrats have no actual ability to govern and that Biden will, in fact, be being, having his policies dictated by Mitch McConnell. And I just don't think the Democrats want to find out. I think they're too afraid. So that's why I doubt they'll do it. They might. I'm not going to say they won't. It's just right now, my guess is they don't want to see, they don't want to show how weak their hand is. They want to leave it in the air so that scared Republicans could like start really freaking out. Ooh, get some of those polls out there showing how many people were opposed to the, to the uh, attack on the thing. Thing is, though, all those fucking, all of those, almost all of those Republicans in the House are in gerrymandered districts where the majority of voters there supported all this shit and think it's awesome and will vote for any fucking used car dealer who runs against you saying he voted to kick the president out or he voted to certify the whatever. And they don't want to show that. They don't want to have that out there. They want to have it out there as a possibility. Yeah, it's like the Republicans after the Civil War waved the bloody shirt and it worked great because most 
people like who lived in the northern states, which had the enough electoral votes to determine the president if they stayed unified, had been shot by Southerners uh, or had shot a Southerner who was likely a Democrat. So that bloody shirt was real. This is all just a spectacle. This is all just kind of funny. This is all just pretty fucking funny. And by the way, wanted to say this too. Anybody who after Trump got fucking uh, perma-banned was like, this is really serious. Yeah, but I'm sorry. I treat that the same way that I treat the people who say you have to take the fucking coup seriously. We let the tech companies take over everything. That already happened. And this is just the validation of that. Having, the, having it come in the form of President Donald Trump being fucking perma-banned is hilarious. And thinking it's not hilarious doesn't change the facts on the ground. Just like thinking that the fucking uh, Duff Man going rappelling from the roof of the fucking Congress and stealing AOC's shoes isn't funny. I'm sorry, that's very funny. It's so funny because I remember from the Bush years, it has been a long-standing uh, project by the intellectual left liberals, uh, the op-ed columnist types and, and the, the nation writer types, that, that the Republican Party is an existential threat to democratic uh, governance in America, and that therefore it has to be destroyed in its current form. You see this a lot. Many people have made this argument over the years. It's only gotten more intense in the last few. But, the way, but that is impossible, given the, current, uh, uh, given the current layout of like American political power. The big empty places in this country where all of those the smart, all of the smart college uh, like sensitive types departed, all the ones who went on to become the, 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 ba the, the white middle class base of the, and, and upper class base of the Democratic Party. Now, when they went out there, the ones who stayed, they stayed in places that are disproportionately electorally powerful. The Democratic Party, with its play towards the same base of middle class, like self-understood, forgetting their actual jobs, self-conceived of as middle class Amer white Americans, mostly white Americans, with like black people as this... Uh, permanent adjunct to the Democratic co Coalition and like uh, Latinos and Asians sort of being in, in, the, in the middle strata. You can't, and then a bigger and bigger chunk of people deciding that politics doesn't matter and checking out. You cannot have, you cannot destroy the Republican Party in those conditions. Any more than the Whig Party or any more than the Democratic Party could destroy the Whig Party. The Whig Party had to be destroyed from outside. It had to be destroyed by people withdrawing their support for it in concentrated, organized ways, and then taking that uh, power or taking that uh, support and concentrating it somewhere else. What am I talking about? The only place is the Midwest. Where am I wrong about what? This is the rural parts of this country are filled more and more with reactionary white people of all job descriptions, whether working class, middle class, or local barons. College educated, uh, and most these people disproportionately not college educated, by the way, uh, and then disproportionately college educated urban whites. 
and then black people as the hegemonic part of the democratic coalition. And then that's, and then those places where those votes predominate, those white middle-class votes predominate are in places with a lot of electoral power. It's a 50-50, it's a 50-50 split. You're never going to be able to overthrow the Democrat Republican Party within this uh, array of forces. Something has to come outside of it and break through both parties' support bases. That's the only thing that's going to do it. And in this current moment, which activate a vast chunk of people who do not fucking vote, and the, key, the reason that I think that means that we cannot be thinking anything that exists currently online is going to work is that I really do feel like this is all a poisoned well. This is all, this is all a mad uh, language we've taught each other in this self-imposed sanitarium. And that once we try to go outside into the sunlight, we're going to sound like jabbering mental patients. That's my real belief. You've got to get the normals to start talking about it. And, you, and if you can be normal with them, then by God, go and do it. I know that's ableist, but guess what? I get to say ableist stuff because I'm actually disabled. Unlike a large chunk of the people who consider themselves disabled activists, who, a lot of whom have self-diagnosed uh, conditions, I have like four distinct disabilities. So I get to say that. All right, guys. Peace.